0: And if you feel like it, leaving us a review to help more people find out about us so they can figure out where they fit in addressing the problem of climate change. Today's guest is Sam D'Amico, founder and CEO at Impulse.
1: Impulse is helping to electrify homes with a suite of sleek-looking, all-electric appliances, starting with an induction cooktop. Now, regardless of whether or not you pay close attention to the climate space, you've probably seen some commentary in the last few weeks about gas stoves. Somehow, the gas stovetop has become one of the latest culture war topics in American political discourse. Recent remarks from an official with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission about health risks associated with gas stoves in the home, and his further remarks in an interview with Bloomberg about how products that can't be made safe can be banned— have prompted a wave of conservative voices to speak out in support of gas stoves, with one prominent House Republican tweeting a picture of a lit gas stovetop and the caption, quote, You'll have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. In response, our MCJ artist-in-residence, Nicole Kellner, created a new piece of artwork on social media called Gas is Gross, with a caricature of a sick-looking gas oven and stovetop, and woke up the next morning with so many negative comments that she had to turn off Twitter replies. So while we at MCJ usually explore relevant topics independent of news cycles, this one seemed especially close to home. And so we decided to jump in more deeply. Sam and I have a great conversation about the news of the last few weeks, the emissions profile of gas stoves, the recent data on health risks associated with gas stoves in the home, the history of how gas stoves came into homes in the first place, some of the city and state level regulation that has recently been enacted around gas hookups in new construction, and then all about induction stoves and what Impulse is building. Since this is a topic that's likely to cross over and come up in conversation with folks that you might not expect, I hope you find it informative and helpful. I appreciate Sam for coming onto the show on relatively short notice, and I learned a lot from our conversation. Sam? Welcome to the show. Thank you. So, what in the world happened over the last couple of weeks? Like, I was, you know, like I've heard of induction stoves. I obviously know about some of the issues with gas and whatever. It's like it's been a thing in the climate world for the last you know, couple of years. but like over the last two weeks, all of a sudden, like someone turned the dials to 11. Um, you know, I saw uh, Tucker Carlson talking about, you know, don't take away my gas stoves. And I saw Ron DeSantis tweeting about it. And I saw Matt Gates tweeting about it. My colleague, Nicole Kellner, who's our artist in residence at MCJ Collective, created a piece of artwork that she put on Twitter that said gas is gross and had a picture of a gas stove. And she just she had to turn off Twitter. She was getting so much hate comments. Like, wh- how did this become a culture war? What happened?
2: So we actually, I think we just talked to Nicole actually like just before this, um, which is sort of funny, but, uh, um, but yeah, like I don't, I don't know how this exactly happened, like in an orchestration sense, but I do, did see a bunch of messages claiming that, Oh, there's like an op going on and they got AOC and that no opinion guy and some other things. And I was just like, cool. So if you think I orchestrated, this like upsells me as like a founder and like all of my like machinations and like preceding all the stuff. And it's like, No, this is not like, this is not me. This is not like, this is not even impulse. This is, this is like a thing that has been, the ball has been rolling on this for, I would argue, better part of a decade. And like, this kind of goes back to like, and by a lot of folks in in the arena on this, I think like, you know, take like, taking sole blame for this is like, actually like completely wrong. But also, I, I mean, I find it totally flattering and hilarious, but I think it's, it's like totally untrue. And so there was a bunch of studies that I think have been percolating over the past, I would argue like 10 years, but like this has been going on longer. And if you understand this from a climate perspective, you realize that gas stoves are the one user-facing thing that is left for like getting rid of fossil fuel use in the home. And so once you realize that like the flame of the gas is the user experience, you run into this problem of like, okay, that's the one that's actually gonna be hard to switch. Like everything else you can do from a like, if the economics line up, you'll get a heat pump. Like those sort of things are, your 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 central forced air system can switch from gas to heat pump and you don't notice. And so I think the big thing here with gas is it is like a user experience and we have to, and thus there's going to be this like small culture war dust up and all these other things, but also it's the one sticky thing keeping gas piped to people's houses.
1: Unpack that for us more. Like what? what's, um, I think I saw some stats on that in terms of, you know, the, the number of, of houses that have increased their gas usage over the last few decades. You know, it's something like in the 1970s, it was less than 30 percent of single family homes had gas. And today it's, you know, 50 percent plus. And in some big areas like California, New York, Illinois, it's 70 percent plus of homes have have gas stoves. How has that happened? Like what's been the the path to the in- increasing uh, growth of, of gas usage in the home. And and also, I guess, related to that, how does that help the gas industry continue to have access to gas in home for other use cases like water heating and, you know, HVAC, et cetera?
2: Yeah. So I think going back in time is probably the right way to to approach this. And I, I posted something on Twitter about this showing that like if you look at where gas is most prevalent, it's like it's where the coastal elites live. So the so-called coastal elites, it's not it's not actually in um "Quote unquote real America," as you as you would put it on, on on cable news these days.
1: I grew up in Kansas with electric electric stovetops. Yeah, for exactly. What it's <laughs> You're fully
2: electric. Kansas is like fully electrified in in a, in a sense because the like Tennessee Valley Authority, all these other things. But if you go back and you look at like where gas networks were built out, my house in San Francisco has gas plumbing to the chandeliers, and so literal gas lighting was easier to deploy at scale before like Westinghouse was deploying like turb like um like steam like basically steam generate or steam alternator or yeah, steam power plants and stuff all across America. Like effectively the gas network built out in cities much earlier and like I guess it's replaced like whale oil lamps and mm-hmm. other things like that. Um and so that that was the first thing that happened starting in like I mean really it started before, but really took off in the eighteen eighties when the gas mantle was invented, which I think was invented after the light bulb, which is also just really Kind of hilarious on like when things happened, um, where. And so all these cities built out gas networks. Then electricity became cheap. Lighting was clearly better with electricity. That took over there. But like these networks remained and uh, they weren't necessarily used for heating either. They were like, they were, I think it was mostly a lighting intention thing. You would sometimes have gas fireplaces. So like my place actually has a gas fireplace in with a chimney and stuff in there. This is a 1900 Victorian. But uh, you go you go and look at like where like my house when i grew up in north of boston like the there was an oil tank in the basement and so we were using other fuel sources whether there were wood stoves whether there were oil heat etc and gas started taking over those which was i mean arguably near term probably good because it was like lower particulate emissions lower um lower smog lower all these other things at home use but That was mostly because, like, electricity, like, heat pumps weren't there. If you were, like, living in a cold environment, like, you were stuck with resistive heat, and thus you had to pay the, like, power conversion tax. And, like, you could argue that this wasn't more efficient um, pretty easily at that point. Obviously, everything has changed since then. But that's kind of, like, the setting the stage for, like, why in the 60s plus, like, everyone was, like, homes started switching over to gas for, for heating, basically.
1: And so then what happened, I think over the last few weeks, if I understand it, was someone in the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, uh, which is the federal government, came out and said, hey, you know, these gas stoves have health impacts to kids and maybe we should think about regulating them, which you know, triggered this uh, extreme backlash of, you know, uh, uh, of sort of anti-regulatory sentiments. You know, you can't take away my gas stoves. Is that I mean, that's sort of that's where we landed today.
2: There was a couple things that happened before that. So I think there was the Rocky Mountain Institute study that came out and there was a couple other studies. Um, There was also there was also um, I think it goes by Curious Founder on Twitter. He did a bunch of measurements of his own kitchen.
1: Michael Thomas. Yeah. Michael Michael Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So a number of, there was a bunch of like interesting studies that landed around the same time. And then people were also doing direct, um, experiments. And so the CPSC commissioner, I think started piping up right after some of the studies started landing. And then that brought this right into the culture war vortex, I would say.
1: I mean, anytime the phrase cold, dead hands comes up uh, around, uh, you know, uh, the the rights to have a product, you know that it's it's entered the mainstream vortex, I think. And so what have we learned over the last few years about gas stoves in particular uh, from the emissions side of things, um, but I think also from the human health side of things. What are, the, what are sort of the, the takeaway um, pieces of information for, for people to be aware of about, you would never back a car into your living room and turn it on and let the tailpipe emissions run in your home without filtering them, obviously.
2: And that has a catalytic converter on it, whereas your stove does not. So it's, it's interesting.
1: When you stop and think about it, it is kind of insane that we are, many of us, regularly burning open gas flames in our home when every other part of the gas appliance where in our homes has incredibly strict venting and capture requirements around it that are required by code and permitting. Um, and yet our kitchens don't. So may- maybe hel- help us understand what that means for us.
2: Let's start with like the gas network emissions and like all of the like let's the climate impact of let's ignore the CO2 aspect of it, because I think that's like, I mean, it's obviously important, but like, imagine you've got a power plant and you've got a resistive electric stove. Like you could argue that you could argue that the efficiency of that may be actually higher than a gas stove or a gas stove could be potentially more efficient than that. The gas network itself is old and leaks. And so there is, as the gas is transited to your house, it is leaking basically methane and other stuff. But The one you can really model easily is methane into the environment. That is a potent greenhouse gas that I think is like, 30 times more potent than um than uh than CO2. So even if you lose like 1% of the methane in transit, like your your emissions are up by 30%, basically. Now, the other thing is combustion isn't perfect. Like we're not talking about like you're not getting perfect mixing of the oxygen in the air with the methane. And so because you're not getting perfect mixing, um, and I don't work in rocket propulsion, that's the other company called Impulse, but if you don't get perfect mixing of the methane, like some of the methane is going to come out into the into into the environment. And so that's going to leak, too. So, like, at some level, you're going to have methane leaks both in the network, at your stove, and then the other part would be... So this um, is
1: before you've even combusted anything. This is just state of affairs.
2: Or during the combustion process, you're still also, like, some methane is not getting fully burned, basically. And then the, the last part is, I don't know how old your appliance is. A lot of people, like, brag about their, like, 1950s gas range that is, like unkillable and amazing we had one of those in our old office and i literally could smell natural gas all the time in our office so ironically like impulse first office was uh had a natural gas leak like all the time in it and so that's kind of like the state of affairs with like getting the gas to you and like the burning of it and so there's basically this like unaccounted for climate issue from methane getting out into the air through the network and your appliances and all sort of stuff. This also happens on your furnaces as well. Um, it's just that that has a like a clean separation between where it's burned and like it goes out in exhaust versus going into your house, basically like through your forced air system or whatever. That's kind of the state of the affairs for like that. So that's, there's clearly like an additional climate risk from natural gas use in homes, just from the fact that some of the gas doesn't burn. Um, the second thing is it burns really hot. And so this is something that I don't think people are like, like this is not something that is easily like obvious to people, but that blue flame, it means it's like, it, it's a, it's above like 2000 degrees or something like that. And that is hot enough that it will convert oxygen and nitrogen into free radicals. And so when it does that, those can recombine into nitrogen, like nitrogen oxide and nitrogen dioxide, which are basically constituent components of smog. And that reaction is endothermic. So those individual like molecules may actually preferentially sink versus enter your hood with the hot gas. So you end, up, you end up kind of combining all of these things and you're like, okay, now you're generating like smog in your kitchen. You're also generating CO2, which is like, people don't talk about this, but like I sleep with my door open because like I put a CO2 meter in my bedroom and it went up to like 1500 ppm when I sleep. And like, if I open my door, it fixes that. But like your kitchen will actually unless you have like a window open or something like that, like you'll have higher than usual CO2 levels. And that's not like great for cognition and other things like that. It's temporary, but it's not great for all these things. There's the nitrogen oxide, nitrogen dioxide risk, which a bunch of these studies coming out are saying there's a childhood asthma risk associated with it.
1: Yeah, I have a um, a purple air sensor, um, you know, in, near my kitchen, and I, I do have a gas stove. And when I cook, that thing turns red every time. Um, I I don't know how much of that is the, you know, the, the particulate matter coming off of the gas that's combusting, and how much of that is food particles that are getting thrown into the air. But I think the the Michael Thomas at Curious founder uh, study that you mentioned that he published on Twitter did go into that where he was able to, he was able to figure out the separation of the two. I actually have an, in, um, we're going to get into induction plates and induction burners and stoves and all that, uh, shortly. I do have an induction plate as well, and I should do a, an AB test against the two of them, uh, just to, to compare and contrast, um, at some point, I haven't done that yet, which would actually be a fun little personal experiment to run.
2: So I was going to predict that the defenders of, um, like gas will probably run the, PM test. and like I have an air quality meter. I forget the brand that I bought. Um, It doesn't really register when I turn my gas stove on. I think except for like CO two might increase in my kitchen or something like that Um, because it doesn't have the NO or NO two sensor in that system. The PM when I measure it it comes from like I'm like I'm using a walk and it's making a mess kind of thing and like that. That's where you'll see a lot of the PM. But again, keeping in mind that that's not necessarily PM two point five. That's like larger particles and stuff like that that may be less long term harmful also like we evolved around cooking food and stuff so it's like it's like it's like it's it's worth noting that like humans control fire and like wood fire is like in the 500 something degree like it's in the it's in the like 400 to 900 degree sort of range it can it, it's way harder to form nitrogen oxide nitrogen dioxide from a wood fire than it is from methane basically and like these high temperature fires have only been more except for like Niche uses like you're like like you're you're a blacksmith or something back in the day like those weren't like available in, in people's homes and stuff like that.
1: And then I think you you mentioned the asthma risk, and I think the number that I saw was that forty kids in homes with gas stoves are forty two percent more likely to contract asthma.
2: I think it was like fourteen or something, if I remember correctly. I want to be careful on those studies yet until we actually get a little bit more because one thing is. I think it was kind of this like study of study with some correlationary stuff. So we want to just be like very cognizant, that like it appears that there is real, there's a real risk here. But like now there's going to probably be a much more detailed study following children over the next couple of years. We'll probably get like pretty direct data from a explicit study. Like I'll say, that's my guess. That's my guess. That's
1: great. Yeah. The one I saw was from the UCLA School of Public Health, but you know. One study is one study, and I think you're you're right to caution us to not take one study out of context. Um, you know, the, 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 to, until you can draw conclusions, you need to have multiple points of, you know, peer-reviewed data that that can all be compared against each other.
2: My point is, it seems like there's something real here. I think that we're going to get reinforcing data in the next couple of years is my guess. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, the culture war was triggered over the potential for federal regulation around gas appliances in new home construction, which is mirrored, I think, after some of the state and local regulations that we have seen come into place in certain geographies. So California, for example, has passed legislation or regulation, I guess, to reduce commercial, and residential emissions to 60% of 1990 levels by 2030. NYC has local law 97 that has a 40% reduction in building GHGs by 2030. Do either of them explicitly talk about gas hookups to the home and or gas stoves um, in, in that case? And or are there other forms of regulation that have gone direct to gas stoves as as a no-no going forward.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact. This is this has been kind of a blur in terms of in terms of like what's happened lately. I remember the first one was Berkeley actually just explicitly put a ban through, and then there was a bunch of discussion of this for oh, and, and for clarification, all these are for new construction. So no one's going to take away your gas stove in like any of these situations. I mean, I'll make an argument that you should replace your gas stove with, with what we're working on, but like but like that point is no one is coming for your gas stove in a like in a, you know, black helicopter 90s right wing paranoia sort of fantasy thing. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm trying to remember the exact pieces that are coming together. It appears that it's like, it's mostly happening at the municipality level, but, uh, and maybe Massachusetts a uh, statewide one, but it was being floated in New York. It seems like the restaurant associations are also kind of pushing back a bit because it's like massive. The, the big problem here is if they can't do it, there needs to be a massive push for electrification and like, giving people like actual high power hookups to the the uh to the restaurants and this is like a huge 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 problem because it's like okay you remodel a restaurant you redo the kitchen now it's like a new kitchen suddenly you can't use gas and your panel is 100 amps like okay you're not going to be able to like you're not gonna be able to do this
1: i've watched uh, the bear and i understand you know the the challenges of running a restaurant on a budget uh by the way Best show of 2022.
2: I need to go watch that, actually, as someone kind of in the space. Um, Or Jason, I guess. Yeah, so the thing that's interesting is, like, the the pushback in L.A. was the Korean barbecue. Like, it was, like, the end of Korean barbecue in L.A. And I was like, what's really interesting with this is, if you look at actually how these restaurants work, it's like, if you actually had a barbecue grill that was electric at every station, at every table, the power draw for seating everyone would be off the charts nuts. And so this is something where like gas and potentially even charcoal with ventilation in some cases is like actually needed to plug a hole in the fact that our electric grid, like our electric di- electricity distribution to businesses like this, like we haven't addressed this need at all basically.
1: Super great point. And you know, the, the sort of built-in sunk installation cost is always... You know, a huge consideration for any type of transition, and that sunk installation cost isn't just at the point of usage; it's the whole infrastructure around it, right? And um, and you know, to your point, the the electric grid. You know, if, if all of a sudden everything was pulling two hundred and twenty, presumably would uh, would have uh, major issues. Um, I I, I I would think.
2: So California was pushing gas hot water heaters implicitly through Title Twenty Four, which is like honestly, like it's a climate like resiliency sort of law but like the title 24 situation is like it because um if you add an adu to your backyard you need a gas water heater because that would add peak loads to the grid that would basically like if everyone in la county got a adu then and they all had like a they all had like a hundred amp water heater like that would be a huge 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 problem in terms of in terms of what the electricity grid could actually handle and so we're gonna start running into this issue where like the needs of electrification the desire for electrification is going to go up against like the fact that pg and is super backlogged on, like, everything, um, for instance, that's the Bay Area Utility to Clarify. And so it's we're kind of in this interesting spot where, like, we kind of know what the right thing to do is, but the system is literally wired in a way that is um, not necessarily conducive to large-scale electrification.
1: And I want to get into the electric solution uh, for for cooking in particular. But before we do that, I think one other thing th- that's worth bringing up on sort of the the legacy gas install base and and sort of the the efforts of the gas industry over the last fifty years to 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 move so many homes to cooking with gas. It's literally a phrase like cooking with gas. There's an amazing piece that Mother Jones put out uh, recently, the the investigative reporting organization um, titled How the Fossil Fuel Industry Convinced Americans to Love Gas Stoves. Um, And they talk about even today, there have been sort of micro influencer campaigns on Nextdoor that that are actually being created by a PR firm that is uh, that's working with the local gas utility in Los Angeles, SoCal Gas. Um, you know, sort of just basically seeding people to think about, hey, you know, is the government coming for your gas stoves? Um, and and I'm curious, you know, how you you've seen um, if you felt any backlash, you know, kind of coming through any of these influencer campaigns on your own company, um, which we haven't even talked about yet. We will get there. Um, but, you know, sort of what you're seeing in terms of the engagement levels around gas just in the broader conversation space.
2: Yeah. So I think this is actually, this is really interesting. So like one I'll caveat on the utility side, it's like what's been an, an interesting change over in the past couple decades is a lot of utilities have started like whether it's through MA or through various other things, they're starting to be like both offer electric and gas. So they don't necessarily lose a customer on these electrification things. And they may actually have make more money on it because like it may cost more. And so you see like Bay area is giving incentives of like 750 bucks to switch to induction stoves at this point from your utility. So it's, it, the, the the gears are turning so the incentives are, are actually not as they're not as they're not as like directly like like hey look we're pushing you to to do gas they used to be but yeah this stuff still exists we haven't seen direct pushback on us at all i think we're too below the radar and all these other things but like also we're not trying to like i'm not starting to pot in the culture wars basically basically the take but um the micro influencer thing is really interesting just to see how any sort of like the movement building on that is like It's very interesting to see that. I think it's like it feels like a holdover from the before times, if that makes any sense. Like the before times being like the we're cooking with gas, where like the gas industry straight up was directly marketing to people.
1: By the way, there is a in that in that Mother Jones article for anyone who wants to go look it up, there is a hilarious like 1990s era video of people rapping about cooking with gas that is just totally hilarious. Um so anyway, but back speaking of your old old holdover influencer campaigns.
2: I'll ping MC Hammer. Um we'll get we'll get him onto the, the we'll get him onto the electrification side. But um but yeah like I think I think this is I think this is really worth saying is like there is kind of a full stack for cooking and like getting people to and this this exists if you're doing a company making new new appliances or or old ones. Like there is everyone from like the permission structure to buy something Especially if it's expensive, it install involves like getting someone into your house to put it in, etc. Like you want to have like like a chef that you may respect from TV, like endorsing it in a certain sense. And so, so part of this is like they worked through all of the influence factors, whether it was like 50s TV ads to like to all these other things to like convince people that this was the thing. But like this goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is like gas has a user experience associated with the flame, and so if you can get them on gas stoves as like this is clearly the best way to do gas best way to cook you then get them as a gas customer and then maybe you'll get them to switch off of oil heat or wood wood heat etc to gas um as well and then that's where you actually get like a ton of money because that's expensive
1: oh got it so you using the stove as the entry point to kind of get get more gas hook, hooked up into the home i mean to be fair we're going to talk about induction. Uh, in fact, let's move into induction in just a minute. But gas, yeah, like, compared to like cooking on old coil-style electric burners, cooking with gas is better, right? Like from a from a user experience, for sure, it's better. Now, from a from a climate perspective, from a health perspective, all the things we've since learned, it's way worse. But from a like just cooking perspective, there's no doubt it's better than the legacy version of electric stovetops.
2: Yeah, and I think that's actually worth describing how those work. Um, and so those work by basically they're just a big resistor, and you can think of it like almost you know those like light bulbs you get for like your reptiles. Maybe uh, I'm weird because I had frogs as a kid, but like <laughs> you get um, like you need like a warming lamp, and it like glows in infrared. They're basically like a, it's a big chunk of metal. It's a big metal spiral that like you run electricity through, and it gets hot, and then it starts glowing, and then that transfers the heat to your pan. The problem with that is that thing is a big chunk of metal. And so when you turn off the power, it still glows. And so it'll take up to maybe minutes or something to like cool down. So to actually like cut power, you have to physically remove the pan from the, from the, I guess, burner, hob, whatever you want to call the cooking zone. And so gas, on the other hand, it's like literally the combustion rate or like the rate of energy transfer is controllable linearly with a dial. And so that and it's that's real time, super like low latency, like you're able to do that instantly. And so that's where it's like, it's a huge level up on the control side. And especially when like your first stove might be a cheap electric one in your college dorm room or something. This is like, it's night and day and amazingly different basically.
1: We're going to take a short break right now. So our partner Yin can share more about the MCJ membership option.
3: Hey folks, Ian here, a partner at MCJ Collective. Want to take a quick minute to tell you about our MCJ membership community, which was born out of a collective thirst for peer-to-peer learning and doing that goes beyond just listening to the podcast. We started in 2019 and have since then grown to 2,000 members globally. Each week, we're inspired by people who join with differing backgrounds and perspectives. And while those perspectives are different, what we all share in common is a deep curiosity to learn and bias to action around ways to accelerate solutions to climate change. Some awesome initiatives have come out of the community. A number of founding teams have met. Nonprofits have been established. A bunch of hiring has been done. Many early stage investments have been made, as well as ongoing events and programming like monthly women in climate meetups, Idea Jam sessions for early stage founders, climate book club, art workshops, and more. So whether you've been in climate for a while or just embarking on your journey, having a community to support you is important. If you want to learn more, head over to mcjcollective.com and click on the Members tab at the top. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show.
1: All right, back to the show. I would postulate that when most people hear, you know, we need to get rid of gas stoves and go to electric, people are thinking of these coil-style electric stoves, um, or they're thinking of, you know, the the sort of sleek induction, uh, or not, in, uh, excuse me, convection convection be very clear convection cooktops
2: that's called radiant electric actually the ones that look like an induction the ones that look like an induction cooktop but they um, they have like that. still that glowing heating element but it's below a sheet of glass that like transfers the infrared through it and those have the same problem with like it takes a second for them to one get hot but then also cool down and so they the problem with those is they look like a normal they look like an induction cooktop so people look at an induction one and they're like Oh, that has to suck because it looks like that thing.
1: Because I, I used this thing in the 1990s in my, you know, my grandma's house or my parents' house, and I, it was terrible, right?
2: Yeah, and so the way to tell, by the way, is if you turn it on, it glows versus it doesn't glow. Then you know, yeah, it's, it's a good way to tell. But like, and maybe there'll be a tiny word that says induction, like right next to one of the the burners or something. Like,
1: got it. So that's called radiant. That's called radiant electric. Radiant radiant
2: electric. electric. Okay, yeah. It's hilariously how bad this has been marketed.
1: It's terrible. Okay, so so now, the new type of electric uh, stove is is an induction stove, which is fairly new technology, as far as I understand it.
2: Fifty years old, actually.
1: Okay, okay. So, what is an induction stove?
2: So, an induction stove was enabled by power transistors. So, it basically was only possible um, in the sixties plus, effectively. But um, what it does is it converts um, it converts the incoming energy from on um, the grid into a high-frequency, like, I think it's usually, like, 20 to, like, 30 kilohertz, um, like, high-frequency waveform. When 20, 30 kilohertz is, like, it's not exactly, like, radio frequency, like, AM radio frequency, but it's, it's it's like, one-tenth that kind of thing. But it's not an antenna. It's, it's in, like, a coil. So you can think of it like an electromagnet, if you've ever used one of those in, um, in like, middle school science class or something like that. But you're switching the – because you're switching the magnetic field at, like – twenty five like twenty-five thousand times a second. That if you have a I'm gonna use my coffee can as an example here, but if you have that, if you have something that has steel in it, um, that has iron atoms, and those iron atoms will literally vibrate at that frequency, that causes friction in the the steel, and that heats the pan up directly. So what ends up happening is the all the guts of the stove are I mean, maybe they're like mildly warm from kind of various inefficiencies in the system, but the only thing that really gets hot is the the pan itself.
1: And so as I understand it, it's, you know, I, I think of it as these kind of magical magnets. And what I'm hearing you say is that they're actually moving iron atoms uh, to and vibrating them to generate heat. Is that the, the right way to think about it?
2: Yep. And so there's, there's, there's two heating methods in, in an induction stove. There's eddy current. So it's causing current to flow in the pan. And then it's also causing those iron atoms to, to, to vibrate. And so the, comp- the combination of those provides heat. But what's cool about it is as soon as you turn that field on or off, you get direct control over heating, like that's putting energy in immediately and turning it off. So you have like, it's, it's instantaneous in the same way as like possibly even faster than like you turning a gas valve. Huh.
1: And so there's not, there's not actual radiant heat flowing from the cooktop to the pan or to the food. No. Nope. Um, nope. Okay.
2: You could literally put a spacer between the cooktop and the the pan. Like You could put like fiberglass or fancy aerospace materials like aerogel between them and like only the pan gets hot basically
1: and as i understand it it also can heat faster and with more control than both don't I, I, if this is true both a gas and or a traditional electric stovetop
2: yeah because it, like your your control is basically within like one wave cycle of that 25 kilohertz or so waveform so like if you could adjust it waveform after waveform you can control amplitude like arbitrarily quick like I believe on our system, you probably could play audio over it if you really wanted to.
1: Actually, to that point, whenever I turn it on, like my sister's dog starts shaking. Um, so is it putting out some kind of high frequency sound? Yeah. Um, okay.
2: Yeah. So that's actually something we've largely fixed, which is interesting, but I'll get to that later. So when your, so your, your induction stove runs off of um, AC voltage, that AC voltage has a 60 hertz um, line rate. When that gets into the system, it gets chopped up and it gets rectified. So it gets actually converted to DC, but like with a like, you will take the absolute value of it. So that turns into a 120 hertz waveform. Now, the next thing is that then gets converted. It goes to some capacitors and some other stuff, but it gets, it gets converted to that 25 kilohertz. You get a mixing of that like 120 hertz, like line ripple with the 25 kilohertz. And that's what your dog hears. Fascinating.
1: And so, so that, that is a solvable problem. Cause that, I could see that being a barrier. Like if all of a sudden, you know, the entire, you know, world has stovetops that their pets' dogs go, you know, whatever, uh, pee on a rug whenever they, they turn their stove on, like that's going to be a problem.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I've maybe been into too many concerts, but like, um, our, my understanding of our I system can't is hear like, it either. <laughs> yeah, you get a click when basically the power comes on and then after that it's silent. And so, but that's that. That's because we've got the battery, which we'll get to later, um, as the like power source for the induction system.
1: If you know anyone listening who has a, a gas range and is like, "Oh, this sounds cool," uh, a you know, no emissions, b no no health issues, you know, c better control, d no flame or heat in my house, like no brainer. I want to do this.
2: F higher performance, you get like you often, you can get up to like maybe one point five to two x performance of a gas stove with this. So.
1: So what I did is I went on Amazon and there was like you could buy a hundred dollar single, you know, panel just so I could learn and like play with it. And, uh, you know, I I bought a, a single the equivalent of a single gas burner, but it sits on my countertop uh, and it's a single induction uh, panel that I, you know, use if I'm cooking a whole dinner. Obviously, I can't cook everything on one panel. But when I'm just heating, heating up uh, leftovers in a in a pan, like no big deal. Um and so, like, th- that was really easy. It just plugs right into my regular outlet. But as I understand it, if you wanted to replace your actual full range top with it, you-, you need to actually install higher power voltage into that part of your kitchen. Is that is that correct?
2: Yeah, so first for, like, those hot plate products, which are awesome, by the way. Like, I got one to do hot pot with my friends and stuff, but, like, end up using it because, it's like, the control's pretty good. They sometimes cheap out on some of the transistors in there. So, like, you know, it may not necessarily get, like, when you go to, like, setting, like, instead of 1 out of 10 power, it may turn on and off instead of, like, letting you simmer all the way down. On the higher end stuff, you don't have that problem. But um, that, that literally is a, like, do you have one transistor or two transistors in the system is, is, is the thing. But, um, yeah, so the, the, the cool thing with those individual hot plates, they're almost as powerful as, like, a 15K BTU gas stove burner. And so, like, you're not actually miss if, if, if you're, like, concerned about, cl- you're concerned about home air quality, all these other things, like, you could just get two of those and plug them into different circuits, and, like, you're probably good as a near-term thing you could do. Now, the, uh, if you actually want to upgrade, like, a four-burner or stovetop or range product, um, you have to run, like, anywhere from a 40-amp to 60-amp breaker and, like, associated, like, high-current uh, wire drop from your panel to where your um, where your stove is. And like that's that's an electrician visit, basically.
1: So I could go to I could go to Home Depot and I was, you know, on the Home Depot website before our call and there are a hundred plus induction cooktops available on Home Depot that I could use to swap out my I think I've got a four or six gas range you know stovetop in my in my kitchen. Um, but I I couldn't just order it on Home Depot and flip it out myself. Like I'm gonna have to A have the gas company come out to Shut off the existing gas one and remove it, cap the line, and then B have an electrician come out and install something locally at in my kitchen to plug this this new system into, and potentially upgrade my panel or look at my my breaker system um, as well. Is that is that correct?
2: So typically, when you buy a like induction cooktop or a range, it comes with like a pigtail where it basically it terminates out to like ground neutral and the hot wires, and so you would need to get a junction box put in with a dedicated circuit, with a dedicated breaker for that, that could be up to like 60 amps. So it's like, it's basically like, if you want to put a Tesla charger in your garage, it's like a similar order of operations um, type thing. Now, the next issue is, does your panel have an, a free 60 amps? And like, you could go talk to, you know, coastal elites like myself who have gas stoves. And like, my panel, I think is like 125 amps or something like that. Like, maybe I'll add one gas appliance. But as soon as you start pr- putting pressure on this, it's like, it's it's not going to hold up. And so then you have to potentially upgrade your panel or get like a smart panel that can like trade off between different appliances. And then let's imagine you, your house is built 100 plus years ago. Your conduit's too narrow to upgrade the service to that panel. And so then you got to go call the utility. They got to dig up your front lawn or or go up on the on the pole and do a bunch of different stuff. And then that's going to potentially be a ten thousand dollar exercise and maybe a year of wait
1: got it so so for some people you know maybe the upgrade's not that big of a deal for some it is a big deal unless you're personally very literate in home you know sort of wiring and electrification this isn't something you're gonna probably be able to figure out on your own. You need to have an electrician come through and help you figure figure this out, which isn't that big of a deal, but it, it just creates one more hurdle for adoption and 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 movement. Whereas new construction obviously can just build these, you know, from the get-go and you know is generally set. But for the 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 consumer who's looking to um to to swap, there's just there's a couple steps involved that they have to deal with. And so, you know, with that, maybe now let's describe. The, your product impulse and you know how you've helped try to solve that that swapping use case for people
2: yeah so so this company came about uh i think it was i'm trying to think it, technically it's a year and a half old but the idea this idea has been poking around kind of my friend group chats like since like 2018 or 2019 and the idea was like if you can put a battery next to the peak loads you really can like solve the problem of like so typically your stove is not running all the burners on high all the time like like what it's rated for and what you actually need in terms of average power delivery are vastly different. And so that even includes like holding a boil, all these other things like just getting stuff up to temperature is like a very different requirement than like you need to sustain use. And so what you can do is you basically put a small lithium, iron phosphate battery pack right in the appliance itself. And then that lets you basically solve all your peak power use cases and more. We'll get to like how we're more powerful than anything else. And then, But also, you can run this off a normal 120-volt 15-amp outlet, and it works just fine. And so, the whole idea here is basically, like, this also exists for other appliances, too. So, like, all of your home appliances, you can think of, like, are they in use right now? Like, like you, you can just, like, mentally check. And it's, like, most stuff is off on average. Like, 90-plus like percent of the time, your appliances are off. And so, if you realize, like, you size this battery for at least a use... You could be completely off um, you can be completely off grid basically but still be able to like use a fully electrified device
1: I mean it's interesting you know whether it's Tesla or others have sort of trained us to think when it comes to home battery like we have to buy this big multi thousand dollar monolithic battery as a backup system and to kind of solve everything you, your approach is hey let's let's explode this out into each appliance and use it so that each appliance can have its own you know kind of uh, supply and demand curve on energy usage um is, is, is am i understanding that correctly
2: yeah i think tesla's done a really great thing for the industry and like honestly like has driven down the price of batteries to the point where it's actually tractable to do this like i think that they deserve a lot of credit for that but like they're charging a thousand dollars per kilowatt hour for a uh, for a home battery system and then like it doesn't solve the wiring challenge that we mentioned earlier with any of this other stuff so it's like in some sense, they're both an overpriced battery that mostly caters to, like, single-family homeowners, and then also it's, like, you still don't have the, the you don't solve the wiring challenges and all stuff, and if you integrate the battery at the, the peak load, you can both get a home battery in the Tesla style of, like, you can use this for fractional home energy storage, but also you solve the, like, last, it's not last mile, but last 10 feet wiring challenge, which ends up being Turns out that this is going to be a huge challenge in the next couple of years, especially with like electricians being totally slammed, utilities being totally slammed, all this other stuff happening as like we kind of make this like hard pivot into a fully electrified world.
1: So Tesla has helped drive down the cost of batteries. Batteries are still expensive. So I'm assuming an impulse stove with a battery built into it is going to cost more at face value than a range I could go get at Home Depot today. But I think your argument is twofold. From what I'm hearing, one, the cost of installation is going to be significantly less and easier, and two, the ongoing cost of operations is going to be less when it comes to your electricity bill because you can charge this this thing up, um, you know, during low cost hours from an energy uses perspective, um, and and then you know run a lot of the the needs off of the battery itself. Is 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 that is that the kind of correct one two assumption?
2: That's correct, and there's a third one too, which is thanks to the IRA there is now a, like a huge subsidy regime for this. Um, and there's one for induction stoves, but there's also one for home batteries that changed. The biggest change, like the quiet change in the IRA is they got rid of the, you need solar panels predominantly charging your home battery to get the 30% investment tax credit on the battery. And so our understanding is if we can plug the battery in like as a home battery, basically in that, in that sort of use case. So like we'll encourage people if like you can install it one, t- 120, but like, you can if you get it wired for two forty, you get three plus kilowatt hours on like in your home basically that you can use for like whole home load shifting. And that would then qualify you for thirty percent off, like ideally the entire product in our case, because you could make the argument for like the battery, like price per kilowatt hour, we're below Tesla.
1: Is that point of sale discount or is that uh, you know, on my tax return at the end of the year discount or, or to be determined?
2: This is getting worked through. Um, I think there's we're like mid rulemaking on this. And then the situation The situation I'd imagine is like, there's also a bunch of buy now, pay later financing schemes and things like that. Solar industry did a great job with this, but like there's also a bunch just for consumer products that exist right now. So like, I think that there's a way to like square the circle on the financing, provided that you can validate that the installation will qualify basically.
1: And Sam, what's your background? How, how did this company become the thing for you to go do? Um, you know, I understand, you know, you, you worked at Google and Facebook on things like Oculus and things like Google Glass. So you've kind of had a, you know, a hardware uh, career, um, but not kitchen appliance hardware. So, you know, what's, what, what prompted you to, to A, move into the space and B, build this product?
2: So, so some background, background on me, just for, for folks on the folks, folks listening is like, I worked on a bunch of different like head mounted display products. Um, but including Google Glass, Oculus, most recently was doing the Quest Pro controller. So if you've seen that product in the marketplace, that actually shipped after I left I left Facebook slash meta. So my background actually hilariously was I was doing like camera hardware and various other things and then kind of wormed my way into like system engineering and like system architecture. The big thing that was kind of back like before is I really like to cook and I host a lot of like friends over for barbecues and like really, I really like grilling on like a tiny skewer grill because I got into when i was traveling to china a lot for hardware engineering i really liked the like lamb skewer barbecue guys on the street and i was like a huge fan of that and so i got one of those skewer girls and was grilling and i turned this into like and i turned this into like a social event yeah it's so good by the way yeah
1: in beijing like that is the place it's the, my favorite place to go eat when, whenever i'm in beijing
2: and I've, I've been to xian i've been to all the other things my favorite is like your your out at bar streets in shanghai and like there's a guy on the street serving these things and they they kind of banned them but then now they're back so it's like i'm super excited to go back and try it again so i like to cook a lot like to cook socially with friends and stuff like that but the other thing is both me and our cto both um we actually met doing solar car racing um in 2010 and we're both um on different solar car teams different uh, american universities and that was kind of the full stack experience with doing electrification in a like like, do or die environment, basically. And um, so if you're not familiar with it, um, the solar car races, there's an American one, but the Australian one is kind of like the most famous one is you drive from Darwin, which is like the north tip of Australia to Adelaide at the south, And you have to race a solar powered single seat electric vehicle, like, I think it's like 3000 kilometers or something like that across the outback. And so I got to do this a couple times. And it was honestly one of the best experiences I've done in like an engineering context in terms of very stressful, but also very, very awesome.
1: So you were actually helping to to build the vehicles that you then helped race.
2: Yeah, I managed to become like firmware lead or something like that. But hilariously, I was writing battery pack firmware for that. And so I got a full experience with like how to do design, like and make safe um, lithium ion battery packs. And that's hilariously, I had to kind of do that again for us when we were kind of like, you know, in, in, back at seed stage and stuff like that, because I had still expertise I hadn't forgotten yet.
1: And then what's next at Impulse? Like you, you know, t- today your your product is this battery powered in- induction stovetop. Um, how do you see the company evolving?
2: Right now, what we're doing is like focusing on kind of doing the MVP um, product, and ideal and the way we're approaching the MVP is like this will be broadly available. So mm-hmm. the plan is this is not like this this will be the ideal the ideal situation is like this is something that we will launch pre-orders for and it will be broadly available. I will won't go into details on the launch date, but we'll have more info this year um, on that. The broad plan is that everything we're doing is modular and we're building a foundation to kind of parametrically make products with this approach in a way that scales out so we can be ubiquitous in the next couple of years.
1: The approach meaning the sort of the ba- the the, ba- the local battery included hardware for an appliance. Um, is, is that, is that the, by approach what you mean?
2: Yeah, in like, in like and making, sh- like making sure you have an inverter that like does all the stuff I've mentioned before. The individual induction burner technology, we've innovated a lot there. Um, we'll have more info on kind of all the things we've done there to, to really level up because that's something that it's actually interesting if you poke into the supply chain for induction. There's like c- a couple companies that actually make the power electronics for all of these brands. Like our CTO um, background is automotive LIDAR actually, but he has designed his own electric motors, designed his own power electronics including motor controllers and all this other stuff so it's like in some sense the right kind of full stack engineer to do a lot of this tech tech development and so we're in a place where basically we can actually innovate on kind of the foundational axes in a way that may be interesting even the big appliance vendors because we'll have tech that they may not even have internal capability of developing
1: so if i'm thinking of impulse obviously your your first product is is this um, induction stove but I, i should think of impulse more as a Home electrification appliance, uh, sort of company and integrator, it sounds like, is sort of the, the way to think about you from a bigger picture perspective over time.
2: Yeah, I think there's like, there's a technology play where we can do some licensing deals. And like, I'm not against that. I think delivering the full vision in a first party product is very important, especially early on. Like, I think Tesla did this too to kind of like start the flywheel where they worked with Toyota on some Toyota and Daimler and some early projects. So it's like, this is something that like, I'm not. Like definitely not closing the door on, but I think it's important to actually ship the full vision of like, hey, this is where we think this stuff is going to go. And this is a very forward looking product as the kind of day zero thing we launch.
1: So coming back before we close out, coming back to induction stoves, we talked a little bit earlier about how poorly the marketing has been frankly and you know i think it's it's plagued the sort of home electrification space in general i mean heat pumps are kind of frankly a terrible name for the product that they are
2: reverse air conditioner is better like no, like, a re- <laughs> like a reversible air conditioner is better it's hilarious <laughs>
1: yeah i mean induction similarly is is confusing and it's obviously getting Cognitive dissonance in people's minds with what they think of when they think of electric cooking. I had a friend on Twitter uh, re- reply to a question I asked about this recently, and he said, look at TVs, right? Like you have plasma, you have LED, you have LCD. Um, none of them like really marketed heavily th- from a from a category perspective. What they all are is they're flat screen, right? They're not low weight TVs or talking about the power utilization of them. They are simply flat screen. And like that kind of worked, you know, as people were moving from big boxy TVs to these things, but they were also significantly lighter and significantly easier to use. What do you think the needs to happen in this category from a sort of mainstream naming perspective or is induction it? And we just all need to help people understand what it is.
2: Oh, I'll, I'll give you the selfish answer. Then I'll give you like the not selfish answer. The selfish answer is you just buy the impulse stuff. And like, I think we can like exist as a brand that like tells you exactly what you're getting, but I think that's a little silly and like, you know, that's delusions of grandeur and all that other stuff. I do think that it's like very important to like, I think induction is going to break through and people will, 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 will regretfully just use it and know what it is um, because enough people are going to have that experience. There's also just a lot of like, I think confusion on the look and feel and various other things like that. So like, we're obviously going a little bit different in terms of like what we're planning on making the thing look like and various other things because I think like having it existing in different categories is important. But like, my sense is, power electronics getting cheaper like it should be a point where basically every cooktop is induction like that seems like an obvious no-brainer from a like where the industry should go and so then it's like okay i think gotta I self-addresses it and maybe you can call it like glass cooktop or whatever you want to call like whatever you want to call that thing um i think that's that's an important situation now like for us it's like the battery part it's like interesting but i don't think that's necessarily a like it will change the UX and that we have way higher performance than anyone else. Like, we're, we're able to do significantly more, I'll say, at least 2X versus, like, anything else in the market. But that's something where I think it's more associated with our brand than, like, what the capability would end up being. Yeah, I think this is actually, this is a tricky one. I think it it almost requires, like, more of an educational thing. And, like, obviously, Stephen Colbert a couple nights ago and, like, all this other stuff, like, it's starting to break through. Um, but uh, that's something where... I'm not sure if I necessarily am going to be the one to engineer like new branding beyond like our own branding as a company.
1: Well, frankly, maybe a, a culture war is the, the best thing that could happen to pe- to raising the awareness of what induction is. Um, who knows?
2: Well, I think it is it, important to look at the like, who has in- gas stoves and who has induction. I think it's like if you if you're neg- if you want to negative polarize all the gas stove users who are like like San Francisco, like left leaning elite types to like switch to induction like you couldn't have engineered a better thing than have like congressmen taking photos with their like rental unit gas stove in their dc apartment kind of thing because they don't probably have one in their real house that's something that actually is probably the bigger meta story here than like there being a culture war is that like because there's signs of the culture war like it actually is going to cause people in the cities to switch
1: so interesting. Your your prediction is there will be some early adopters purely on virtue signaling in addition to better performance. Um, but the the virtue signal signaling is is going to cause a wave of uh, of movement as well.
2: I don't think there's going to be a near term like ban of any type on this stuff. I think that that's that's probably pie in the sky on the federal level. Um, but I do think that like negative polarization is a potent force, I would say.
1: Sam, thanks so much for coming on, helping us understand what's going on and also explaining what you're building because it's it's super exciting and um, excited to see it out in the wild here, hopefully soon.
2: Thanks
0: so much. Thanks again for joining us on the My Climate Journey podcast.
1: At MCJ Collective, we're all about powering collective innovation for climate solutions by breaking down silos and unleashing problem-solving capacity. To do this, we focus on three main pillars, content, like this podcast and our weekly newsletter, Capital, to fund companies that are working to address climate change, and our member community, to bring people together, as Yen described earlier.
0: If you'd like to learn more about MCJ Collective, visit us at www.mcjcollective.com. And if you have guest suggestions, feel free to let us know on Twitter at MCJPod. Thanks,
1: and see you next episode.